Hey there, it's Eloisa, your host of The Truth, the podcast where we hear from some of the most extraordinary women who talk about business strategy, entrepreneurship, industry trends, and so much more. We're here to uncover what truly happens behind the scenes and on the journey to leadership because a door opened for these women and we're making sure that that door stays open. Today's guest is Jen Rottenberg, Head of Partnerships at Athleta. She's had quite a dynamic background, mostly in sports. She's worked on all sides of the spectrum, media, sponsorship, recruitment, entertainment, and experiences, among many others. She was the Chief Marketing Officer at USA Water Polo, the CMO of Fan Controlled Football, and is now working with Athleta and notable partners like Allison Felix and Simone Biles to find unique ways to innovate the sports and wellness experience. Let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome, Jen, to The Drift. I am so excited for everybody to be able to hear your story and then also hear from you on your insights on what's going on in the space. So to kind of go ahead and kick us off here, can you share with us a little background on yourself and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Uh, it's been a long and windy road, but I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, I um, you know, came out of college and, and started not in anything related to this. I started in management consulting, but uh, pretty quickly realized that was not going to be my career path and had a passion from growing up playing sports and thought that that might be an area I'd want to get into and uh, ended up um, going back to business school and then pivoting and uh, getting a job at IMG, which you know, was the uh, originator really of sports marketing with Mark McCormick. And it was an amazing place to start off my career. But within a year of being there, I was lured away uh, to help start, uh, try to start women's professional soccer here in the U.S. And uh, I went on from there to a variety of entrepreneurial ventures, uh, both straight up sports properties and also sports tech a lot of integration of sports and technology, but I've also spent time as a head of marketing for national governing body over at USA Water Polo for five years. And most recently kind of combined that experience with the sports tech piece, working at fan control football, trying to get that venture up and running. And it's now uh, had two successful seasons, mashing up live action sport with video gameplay and still feel like they're very cutting edge, but an opportunity came up just about exactly a year ago uh, with Athleta to create this role of head of partnerships for the brand. And I really felt like it was the right time to kind of go back to my roots in women's sports and, and actually be able to bring some resources hopefully to the table in this role. And, uh, and so I've, I've been here for a year now and it's been a whirlwind so far because one thing I sort of didn't realize when I took the position was, I was actually a bit kind of moving out of sports and into retail. <laughs> I didn't really think about it from that perspective, but it really is a retail business. And I've I've had an interesting learning curve in that space that I did not necessarily anticipate at this stage of my career, but it's it's been a, a good experience so far. That's really great to hear. And you know, as I think about it, you're exactly right, right? You're, you made this little transition between sports to retail, but if I think about it, and also in your experiences in sports, sports has evolved and you now have all these different layers that are coming in, like all these investment groups are coming in. And now I think, I think we saw like LeBron and Tom Brady now own like their own pickleball, pickleball, really pickleball team. Yep. yep. That's really cool. That's definitely on my bucket list. 
Um, as I think about it, right, technology, digital experiences, and like this really cool, like enhanced van experience, I think that possibly, um, and we'll kind of talk about that here too, like that is a really good segue into the world that Athleta is operating. And it's so much more than just this traditional brick and mortar e-commerce business. It's taking a look at, you know, a mission for meaning, tying in purpose into everything that you're doing, and then really thinking about the ways of which you can layer in like these digitized like activations plus physical activations um, and reading cool. And this is like overall just a main experience. So I think to kind of go ahead and just like really set the scene from like the landscape of a woman's sports perspective, needless to say, there's been this massive like global interest in women's sports as you've seen over the past several years. And I remember seeing actually a study by Nielsen that showed that around 84% of the general population of sports fans were actually interested in women's sports with 51% of those actually being men. So we're seeing this really, really cool transition and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it's just going to keep getting better. And the gap is just going to continue to, to narrow down for the benefit of women in sports. So giving us a really fresh perspective here, um, what would you say are some of the biggest barriers right now for women's sports to gain the exposure and growth that they need? So great, great level setting there. And you're absolutely right. I think we've actually seen for quite a while that a large portion of fans of women's sports tend to be men because men are sports fans. And if the play is good, they're interested. I think it's typically always been a matter for, especially at the elite levels, whether college and, and now more professional, is how do you find the games to watch them? So a level of consistency needed on the media front. And then also, you know, for there, there's been really great numbers, especially in the last year, year or two from WNBA and WSL in particular, in terms of their TV viewership, even though it is so hard to find. So you see these numbers being really relevant and in the range of, you know, a weekday major league soccer, major league baseball, NHL game broadcasts. And you're thinking, wow, that's amazing. But those leagues are getting paid billions of dollars in media rights fees and the women's leagues are getting paid a few million dollars. And so really, I think where we're going to see a big shift is when those two media deal contracts, I think uh, one comes up next year and then the other one comes up the year following, are up for renewal and they actually have that data to show the broadcasters. Because I think there's kind of a two-pronged situation happening where... Um, you know, the eyeballs are now there. So that means that the advertisers, it's a great opportunity for them to actually get in front of those eyeballs, both men and women, for less money than getting in front of the eyeballs of a major league soccer broadcast or of a major league baseball broadcast. Um, but at the same time, if they buy in, then the broadcast rights fees go up, then you see salaries start to go up, you see more opportunities for the players, better quality of production in the broadcast, better game quality production, more resources to staff the team, staff the league, and just continue to kind of create this virtuous cycle. And I think we are at a bit of a tipping point over the next year and a half as those media deals come up for renewal, uh, that we're gonna see some really exciting things. You just saw it happen with, um, I think it was Ally, you know, they put up extra money for the NWSL uh, championships this year to move from streaming to broadcast to create an elevated profile. And it's, it's you know, those kind of 
corporations coming in and putting the money there. And I think that that will really help take it kind of to the next level. But, um, you know, and now I'm at one of these corporations. Uh, I don't know that we have the deep pockets of a bank uh, like Ally, but, you know, we're, we're trying to do our part as well. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And here shortly, I, w- I definitely want to g- touch upon your your thought process, especially in your current role, right? If you were a sponsor or a brand, brand partner, potential brand partner that wants to get into the space, are there things that you look at, like criteria? Like what do you think would set both the sports team or sports athlete and then also the brand that wants to do something greater for women's sports to really create this really nice relationship? Is there anything top of mind? Yeah, you know, we, we've we been approaching things because our, our resources are, you know, we, people here at Athleta and they know we're part of Gap Inc. And they think we're huge and we have, you know, basically bottomless pockets, but it's, it's honestly, seriously, sadly not the case. Um, so we have to be really thoughtful with the dollars that we have and really try to create these holistic partnerships that are really an exchange of value, uh, not just purely transactional. And so sort of what you were alluding to earlier in terms of, you know, the integration of the impact piece and really uh, creating more of a uh, connection to the community as well as to the customer and um, and leveraging uh, the value of each other to, to make each better. So, you know, for example, you know, we have these relationships with Alicia Keys, Simone Biles, Allison Felix, and through those relationships, we've we've created new things that we didn't ever know we would do because of the desire of those partners to do more. So, for example, when Allison, you know, first came to us, that that was three and a half years ago now. Uh, it was a, a lot around the fact that she, you know, had struggled with um, when she was pregnant with her daughter Cami. And her existing uh, sponsor at the time and, uh, you know, Athleta welcomed her with open arms and said, we are here for you. We support you. You are emblematic of our customer. And we really are about empowering, uh, you know, women and girls to reach their limitless potential. We want to empower you to do that because we want you to be able to have your child and come back and compete again. And which all those things she's done. But what it gave us an opportunity to realize is we had created this power of she fund which we had uh, worked with the Women's Sports Foundation on. And we realized there were other athletes like Allison that are um, Olympians or aspiring Olympians. Most of them don't actually make that much money. (laughs) Um, They are really doing it for the love of their sport and the desire to be the best in the world. You know, the best um, curler, the best... long distance runner, the best rower, and they sort of toil in obscurity in a lot of cases for all that time in between uh, Olympic Games. So they're not getting huge sponsor dollars. Um, and uh, and so we came up with these child care grants that we offered to elite athletes who needed support to care for their uh, children when they're uh, needing to train or travel for competitions or, or that sort of thing. And would Athleta have ever thought of that on their on its own? Uh, I don't think so. But because of our relationship with Allison, that took us to that next level uh, and, and really did something super impactful. And we had quite a few athletes competing over the last cycle in both Tokyo and Beijing that had been recipients of these grants, including Alana Myers-Taylor, who you know won a couple medals uh, at the recent Beijing Games in bobsled, which is amazing. Um, and she's... Uh, She's going to have her second child soon, which is super cool. So we're, we're really excited to, you know, 
utilize our partners to expand our horizons and how we think about things, um, but also put those resources towards them to, to help them do more. So we announced, besides these partnerships with individuals, we announced last week a relationship with the United States Tennis Association. And usually people associate USTA with the US Open, which is huge and amazing and drives all this revenue to the organization that they turn around and put into the grassroots levels of the sport. For us, it was really um, the impetus for the partnership is around uh, three key pieces. One is not so much about high-level brand awareness with U.S. Open, um, but rather how do we communicate with the everyday woman who's out there who's a tennis enthusiast. She's playing a few times a week. She does local tournaments. She's playing league play. Her local group of uh, players is trying to qualify for sectional championships like that that woman is our you know our customer or our desired customer and we want to connect with her so we're actually an official partner of USTA league and um, and are rolling out a whole series of uh, integrations with them but at the same time USTA expressed to us when we were talking to them a desire to uh, create greater diversity in coaching which is very important uh, particularly in the tennis space, nothing against white men, but they have kind of dominated. And, and, you know, the truth is like when you're a young person and you're looking at what you can be or, um, where the opportunity might be or who you feel comfortable with seeing someone who looks more like you, uh, helps keep you in sport. So uh, for them, it's creating more diversity across uh, racial lines and also gender lines. And so we've become a partner specifically of this um, coaching diversity fellowship that they created to really give them an opportunity to get more women into the highest levels of coaching. Um, and we're super excited about that because coaches influence the next generation. Um, and then speaking of the next generation, the last piece with uh, our, our three-part partnership is um, their National Junior Tennis and Learning Girls Excellence Program. So when I first heard about this, I was super excited because it's it's about, they have several hundred thousand girls in the program across the country. They have boys, boys excellence, a, a boys National Junior Tennis and Learning as well and a boys excellence program. But they have these hundreds of kids across the country. And for the excellence program, they identify girls who, it's not just about that they're really pretty good tennis players, but it's that they're engaged in their community, they're working hard in school, but they're coming from underserved areas. And so how can they use tennis to raise their level, to better their circumstances, to earn college scholarships, to take their lives to the next level? It's not about like, can we create like the next US Open champion? It's about, can we give this girl an opportunity to get a scholarship to UCLA? You know, it's that sort of thing. And for us to be able to fuel that program, provide resources to that, education opportunities for the girls, and really help them take their lives to the next level. That is like the epitome for me of Athleta empowering girls to reach their limitless potential. So I was super excited when uh, they kind of talked to us about that program and gave us an opportunity to support it. So for us, it's really like, how do we dig deep and do something that's impactful, not just, you know, are we putting our logo somewhere so people see it on TV or, you know, we can run ads. And I think that's I think nowadays you you have to do as much as you can with your resources, but also it's just those are the partnerships that create the most value. You have to really break through the clutter by doing things that have the most impact. And 
not just philanthropic impact, but just overall community impact as well. That's exactly right. I'm like digesting everything, like all the amazing tidbits that you've just given me. But, you know, you're really thinking about like this transformation of like transactions to transformational and people are so, so, so much more prone to purchase with their emotions. And part of thinking about what those emotions would look like or the emotions that would trigger that purchase decision it's about being values driven and positioning yourself as a brand or a company that is living out their values. And that's from a media side, how they think about partnering with different, uh, different other athletes, the different type of athlete that they are, like all these pieces come into play. And one of the things that were really, really, a couple of things, obviously that stood out to me and everything that you were just mentioning, um, is actually from a funding side. You talked about the Power She Fund and also enabling different grants so that you really are you really are putting to practice what it looks like to quote unquote democratize access to sport. And from an investment perspective, we're seeing so many opportunities being evaluated, right? From I believe from the NSWL to the NWA, like all these different opportunities are coming to space. And there's even some pretty high profile investments, such as all the partners that came together for Angel City FC and the Kansas City Current, and now big like MasterCard too is also sponsoring multiple women's sports. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of different types of sports that I feel like I don't necessarily say it would be right to say that they're winning over other sports, but they're definitely getting a little bit more attraction from female athletes and then people that actually want to just be part of women in sports. So with that said, as you think about how the dollars are moving around, more dollars are hopefully starting to get more funded into this space. Are there specific type of sports? I'll, actually, I'll talk. I'll actually ask you a lot of different questions here because I'm curious. Are there different sports that you say are the best at innovating and creating these like really exceptional, engaging experiences at the moment? And if so, why? Okay, that's the first question. So good question. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, <clears throat> I love where, how you were prefacing it too because I was just thinking about how I was reading um, earlier this week. I think it was the the last. Um, NWSL team purchase was like $3 million or something. And then um, when they sold the Washington spirit uh, earlier this year, there was $35 million. And I think angel city based on the money they raised is valued at like a hundred million dollars. So we're getting some exponential increases in valuations, which uh, will also continue to bring more money in uh, because investors will see that it's actually a really good investment. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and I do think that, uh, you know, the NWSL has been pretty interesting, especially with some of the, the newer teams, um, you know, what Angel City has, has done. It's look, it, I will say they have a bit of an advantage, right? It's the Los Angeles market. It's Hollywood. You know, they had celebrities involved from the beginning, which got more celebrities and, and, in LA, that creates a cachet that makes people pay attention. So they have that advantage, but they're setting a bar now that is very high, um, you know, for for all the other teams in the league, and, and I think really in some cases for um, for for other sports. But even that, you know, they traveled down to San Diego and helped San Diego set an attendance record: the thirty-two thousand people showing up. So um, they travel well as well. So uh, that that's been pretty interesting to watch. Uh, I'm just trying to think if I have a, a thought for you of something that's like a little bit more out of the box um, in terms of 
you know, innovation. Um, I, the WNBA is pretty interesting too. You know, they are very focused on supporting the players, uh, efforts from a social justice perspective, but they've also been pretty heavy at the forefront of in technology integration where they've been able to, you know, some web three kind of things. And, um, and I think that's interesting as well. So, I mean, those, the big team sports, uh, leagues are interesting. Obviously you can't forget about the WTA tour and the LPGA and, uh, you know, all of our Olympic sports and individual, um, you know, sport athletes and that sort of thing. But I think there's, to your point, there's a lot of energy right now around the women's team sports. And then we also saw, um, I think it was in the last couple of weeks in speaking of other women's team sports, uh, a big funding round for love the volleyball league that is trying to launch. And then also athletes unlimited, which has their volleyball and other leagues have also gotten another funding round. So I think it's trickling around a little bit too, to, you know, that's athletes unlimited includes, you know, um, softball and lacrosse and volleyball. So kind of this next tier of women's team sports, it'll be really interesting to see how that grows too. Yeah. I am incredibly fascinated by that entire, entire space. And it's always curious, right? Because if we think about, at least in my own experience of working with MLB, their primary, and I would hate to say it's their primary, but one of the, one of the main objectives, right, is to be able to extend the life cycle of a fan, so when you think along those lines, right, creating fandom and engagement, like why these innovative experiences, whether that's the, you said the WNBA is like going to Web3, like all these like really, really cool exceptional experiences. Um, what does this mean to you? Like, what do you think is most important for us to think about when we're trying to quote unquote extend the life cycle of a fan? Well, I think it's paying attention to, um, how people live, meaning meeting them where they are, right? So it's just having a conversation the other day about, um, you know, viewership and interest um, from the younger generation in watching the major league sports, right? And kids, kids don't sit there in front of the TV flipping around, like looking at the major networks, right? They're on their phones or their computers or their tablets or even the TV, but looking at streaming and consuming things in these little bits and pieces. And, um, and what's interesting is, you know, the, the NBA has, for example, you know, built this juggernaut that it's quote, you know, I would think you'd even call it like too big to fail at this point or something, but, but they're, the audience for watching full NBA games is continuing to grow older. And what's happening is like the next generation is watching things like overtime where they're watching other kids doing cool dunks and paying attention to the overtime elite league and, um, and, and consuming NBA highlights and not sitting there and sitting through entire games. And so I think really we, we do have to pay attention as, in industry, as marketers, as to just changes in the way people live and consume entertainment, information, media, right? I, I joked the other day about how I actually still get a printed newspaper because I actually like to read in print. It's better for my eyes. And I like how the information is curated, like in a hierarchical way when you go through a newspaper. If you look at the online version, it's not the same. It's just sort of a mass of information at one time. But a 15 year old, the only thing they know is uh, they're looking online and they're, they're somehow actually, their brain knows how to filter that information 
without the, the hierarchy. So we have to pay attention to how whatever we might think is the way things have been done, should be done, that, that people are changing and how they consume things. And so how do we meet them where they are? And the funny thing is, I think there's the digital piece to that. Like, do you get more into streaming? Do you show up? Do you, are, are there other entities like overtime or is overtime going to expand into other sports? Like, where is that going to go? But I think it almost helps us as we especially try to kind of get past the last couple of years of COVID. It's like, how do we get back to real world experiences, right? Because you can't replace the energy that exists at an NFL game, at a major league baseball game, at an MLS game, at an NWSL game, at an WTA tour tournament, like the crowd, just the people sitting around you, the energy, the, the interactions with other people. There's, um, there's something to that. How do you find the, this is exactly why we went to the USTA with USTA leagues. Those women are on the court several times a week. They're playing tennis. So how do we talk to them in the environment that they're in, in the real world? How are, how do we show up at events that they're um, participating in so we can talk to them and break through the clutter, the noise of their daily life, taking care of their families, the, the way they're consuming, you know, information through Instagram, like whatever they're doing, um, going to parent teacher conferences, all these other things. But we know every week, a couple times a week, they're on the tennis court. So how do we get to them and talk to them? And, um, and so I think that the idea of real world experiences and connecting into real world events is, is going to have more value going forward. I think because everything else is so fragmented in the, um, media consumption space. Yeah, that's, oh, there's a lot that you're talking about here because I sit like right in this like really cool intersection between fitness and sports, like me personally. And if I think about the fitness world and I mean, Athleta, of course, so you're certainly familiar. When the pandemic first started, we started to then constantly, constantly, constantly hear that corporate buzzword of omni-channel. And I remember I was, I, I've been, speaking with a lot of a lot of talented executives in the entertainment space, you know, the ones that were from um, Disney and 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 Hulu and all the things and like the way that they think about the way that media is being consumed, everything, everything is a highlight reel. Like it literally is a highlight reel. That is the only way that we can get to people nowadays. Everything is very quick and fast from a retail perspective. I filter even my Amazon searches that it has to be here tomorrow else I'm not even going to look at that product. It is so, so quick. And <laughs> you're like laughing because you're like, I know that you do that too. <laughs> I, you're totally right. Yes. <laughs> but it's so quick. And like, that's even like the thing about sports is that sporting events itself, they're not pretty quick. My goodness. One of the playoff games for the Mariners, they got up to like I think the 18th inning or something along those lines. I could have sworn that I was done watching at the bottom of the ninth, and then I tuned back like two hours later, and it's still on. Like, what is this? <laughs> um, but anywho, I could just go off on a tangent about that. So it's interesting, and I'm also now curious too if you see any really cool dynamics or even contrasts between the way that fans are engaging with women's sports and then also men's sports. I know that there's a lot of commonalities, but like, what would you say are some of like the key differences? Well, it's interesting because when I, like earlier in my career, I would say people tried to lean into this idea that, Oh, you know, folks who are interested in women's sports, it's, it's for the stories. It's, you know, to support women 
even it's almost like a cause marketing effort or like people are fans because they care about the players and oh people are you know fans of you know the nba because it's good competition or really good play but i think that has um those two disparate sides have converged so you have the men's leagues actually trying to tell more stories to keep people engaged and really let them understand and get to know the players and the women's leagues and teams and organizations, really the people are recognizing the level of competition is very exciting. So the, the truth is, I, I feel like in a lot of ways, the two have actually converged more closely together as opposed to becoming more disparate. I think you still see, you know, comments about, look, I, the w- women's pro sports are still trying to take it to that next level. We talked earlier about like, trying to maybe get to a tipping point. But so you still see after, you know, a women's pro game, you'll see the players stick it around for however long it takes to sign however many autographs. So they will put in that extra effort in a different way um, that, you know, in the, in the big business on the men's side, you, you don't see that. Um, and I, I mean, I don't know if you ever saw it, but you certainly haven't seen it in a very long time. So I think, I think that, you know, trying to make that personal one-to-one connection in a real world space. I think the women athletes themselves take that upon themselves to really try to still do that. And, and actually, interestingly, where you see it manifest in an interesting way is this whole new world of name image likeness for the college athletes. After football players, um, women athletes are the next most valuable. So the women's college basketball and volleyball players are the ones getting the contracts at this local level because they have spent time building their social media profiles and connecting with people, at least in a virtual way. So they actually have more media value than a lot of the other male athletes on campus. So I find that fascinating, super interesting, and um, you know, curious to see how that continues to play out as those athletes age up and have opportunities, some of them, to play professionally. But, but it's an interesting um, outcome that, I mean, I think people might have, I don't know that that many people thought that's the way it would go. I think they assumed it's going to be the, you know, the, bat, the college, bas- the men's basketball players, the football players, you know, March Madness guys that were going to get um, the really big NIL deals. And, and, um, and a lot of the money is going to the women athletes. And, and also, you know, some athletes, again, in like Olympic, uh, you know, sports that again, have the athletes have taken it upon themselves to build their profiles and really connect with fans. Um, so they have more value because they have, they have more followers. So we live in that world. Sometimes I wish we had no social media. <laughs> um, oh, yes. But, uh, but it's definitely, you know, a useful tool and a really great way for, um, for athletes to tell their own story too. It's changed the entire landscape, right. Of how sports journalism works, because if an athlete doesn't like the way they're being covered, they just, put their own post up on their own, you know, social channels. And it just, they tell it from their perspectives. It's a whole different ball game for, no, not to use a pun, but, um, you know, for the sports journalism, uh, universe, totally separate of regular journalists. But, um, I think that's an interesting thing that's changed too. But, um, yeah, I think it's actually come to, (laughs) to finish answering the question. I think they've actually kind of come a little bit closer together. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, it actually gave me a completely different perspective and it makes me think about the way that the world is shifting. And I think that they are trying to play with one another because they realize now that philosophically speaking, they're all just trying to keep the sport and 
make the sport last, especially for some of the sports that, for lack of better words, they're kind of dying out, right? And whether that's <laughs> as bad as that sounds, I, I hope there's, I think that there's actually a nicer way to have said that. But, you know, you're talking about a lot of really fascinating things on one of the first piece that you t- that you spoke to. I heard this really fascinating quote, and I've taken it really with me about women's sports, is that what is good can live alongside what is profitable. In the past, and you mentioned it, right, people used to think of women's sports as like this charity and that you're doing something good because like it feels nice and maybe there's not a lot of dollars behind it, but there is. There is a true business behind this now. So with that said, as we continue and continue to put these efforts into narrowing the gap and really create more equitable opportunities, not only for women's sports, like from an athlete's side, but also the business of women's sports, what would you recommend? What can sports do better? Oh my God, that's like a billion dollar question. Right. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it's it, it, when you started um, talking just now, it made me think about that we've also been seeing some of the, you know, a lot of the male athletes, they've made a lot of money um, in their careers and they started their own like venture funds and things like that. And we've seen them investing in women's sports, in the investing in the WNBA, being, you know, um, uh, part of these, these pickleball investments that we were talking about, right? But they're actually fueling and supporting the women's sports athletes, the male athletes. So I think that tells you that they also see a couple things. They see that the women is equal in terms of their abilities. You know, they might not all be able to dunk, but they have game. Um, and, and also that they see that there's potential financial returns uh, by putting their money there. So I think that's an interesting trend to kind of pay attention to because we've now seen a generation of male athletes make hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of millions. And many of the guys, hundreds of millions of dollars, especially in the NBA. So they can actually really influence a lot of things with that money if they're paying attention. So, and some of them are paying a lot of attention, LeBron, um, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, like those guys are doing a lot of interesting things. And, um, and I think that, um, I think that they have an opportunity to impact like the entire sports landscape that comes after them, that, you know, the group of players that came before these really big dollars were there, they just didn't have the resources. And so, um, and so what's interesting is of course the female athletes are making nowhere near that money, right? They're, they're, they're way back where the male athletes were, you know, 70 years ago. <laughs> um, and, uh, and they don't have those opportunities to fund the next iteration yet themselves. Um, so I'm very interested to figure out if there's ways that we, we can really actually get more, get it to be more lucrative for the everyday female professional athlete. I think they will do great things if they have resources because they've shown that they can, they do great things through their passion, but if they can do great things with their money too, the way that the guys are starting to figure out how to do things, I, I think, the whole landscape will be in a better place. Um, we're pretty long way away from that. I mean, you've got like the Serena Williams of the world who, again, her own venture fund, right? Serena Ventures. Um, but there's not too many even on the WTA tour that have made that kind of money. Naomi Osaka, like she's doing a bunch of interesting stuff, started her own agency. Um, when they get the money, they do really cool things. So, um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how we can 
put more dollars in the pockets of the players and see where they can go in the next, you know, couple decades. That I think would be really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many things now that hopefully I think that are contributing to where we want it to go or what we really want the space to be. And that could be touching upon you what you just mentioned that these male athletes they've seen the way that the, the sport has evolved they've seen it they've witnessed it they've witnessed how the money has evolved and how the money has grown into this space more specifically in men's sports so in their mind they're realizing that when they look across into the audience and notice that oh wait there's they're okay there's like probably like a good 50 50 blood between male and female fans here yep. but who's making the purchases Right, it's actually the the women are actually historically more prone to make those transactions at those games. Um, so it's definitely it's not just at the games; like every yes. everywhere in life, right? Mm-hmm. Even we have conversations. Women are typically the purchaser for the family on everyday mm-hmm. purchases, as well as the purchaser for themselves. Um, so not even just at the games, not even just related to you know buying fan gear or something like that, but buying everything. Right. That um, is exactly right. And yeah. they're paying attention. Yeah. You know, I was thinking also just in the space that you operate in, you know, I think we talked about this once before, this whole, this, this stat that, that keeps sticking with me around, um, you know, all the venture capital money that's out there. And historically, and up till now, only 2% has gone to female founded businesses. And I'm like, how is that even possible? Because my understanding is that women are founding businesses at the same rate as men. So that means if not more now too. Right. So, so again, it's like, how do we, I think sports is such a cultural touchstone that the more we, you know, you saw like the women's soccer team players get, you know, pushed for equal pay. um, The more that the women athletes can sort of set the bar, be like Serena and create venture funds. Like you'll also see more money. I think more opportunity for women entrepreneurs, because I think it, there will be sl- these slight like societal shifts um, that will be really interesting to pay attention to just in like, you know, that space that you operate in. I think that will be interesting to see too. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes back to, I think one of your most earlier points, right? People have to see it being done. So like the more that we're recognizing, putting some awareness that this is possible for women, the better it's going to be for the future. And we're seeing like these amazing statistics about why we need to continue pushing this effort. Like how I think it's like around 86% of executives actually played sport. Mm -hmm. And from a female perspective, I think it's like around 75 ish percent or so and change that if they played sports as in their youth days um, and as an athlete, whether that's all the way up to collegiate days, they're actually more prone to be interested in sports and it could just be a fan, right? For the rest of their lives. So it means something. We all recognize the transferable skills that sports has, whether you were an athlete or a fan, you're learning every single day from those experiences. So I I totally agree with you. There's a lot to come and I'm super interested to see where this space is going. So future facing, any exciting things coming up that we can expect from yourself or maybe even from Athleta? Oh, so many exciting things. Uh, yeah, we have um, we have a couple of smaller partnerships that we're going to be announcing over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've we've gone into this vein of also looking at what we call value exchange partnerships um, with other companies. So how do we actually work with like-minded companies with 
similar customer bases to uplift each other and um, and especially partnering with some other B Corps to be more proactive in that area. So we have a, a couple announcements coming soon in that space. And then after the first of the year, we will have um, uh, a, a pretty interesting unveiling of a project that I've been working on for quite some time here. <laughs> I sadly can't give you any more details quite yet, but you'll just have to stay tuned and pay attention to the Athleta LinkedIn and Instagram pages. <laughs> well, perfect. I like being able to, to stay at the edge of my seat now too, because that definitely gets me excited. Well, that's amazing. And I certainly look forward to seeing the news here in the coming months. So Final question for you. If you could give advice to young women that is designed to be a future entrepreneur or executive, what would you share with them? I, I get asked a pretty decent amount of time uh, to, to talk to younger um, folks because I, I seem to be the one person that most of the people I know were like has worked in sports. So they're like, oh, my daughter wants to work in sports. Can you talk to her? Um, so one of the things that I've, I typically say is um, that sports – is really like any other industry. It's about creating relationships that evolve over time and help you learn and grow and figure out your place in it. So I think there's a lot more tools, honestly, available to to, um, to kind of do that now than there were when I started, right? I mean, <laughs> when I started, we barely had email. Um, now you have you have LinkedIn, you have you have a regular social media, um, you have organizations like women in sports and events. Um, and, uh, and I, and, you know, just ways to connect, um, and then meet like-minded other women at their same level or looking for mentors who are, um, have been around uh, for a while, but creating those relationships and networking. I mean, not in the crass way of people thinking, oh, I'm a networker, but really creating your network, your support system, um, I think is super important when you start out um, because that that's the group. You have no idea the number of people in the last six years that I've interacted with that have come back around from people that I first met like 20 years ago when you know I was doing early things in the sports industry because we both we would circle around and do other things. And then all of a sudden there was something that we could actually do to work together again or help each other with. And, um, and so it's, it's, um, it's, I think it's really important. It's not about who, you know, as an important people, it's about who, you know, like the network you've built. And then somebody said to me the other day, something about, it's also about who knows what, you know, meaning the people that recognize that you have experience, that you have knowledge, that um, that you're smart, that you can figure things out. And I think it's inter it's important to, to think about that too, as you kind of build your network and you show yourself to them and what you can actually accomplish. So that just creates that many more um, opportunities. So, so I would just say focusing on that. And I know sometimes for some people it's hard, right? Some people are introverts and, uh, but, um, but you know, figure out what's comfortable and, and make those authentic connections. That's, that's what I would say. Amazing. Well, thank you, Jen, for your time. Looking to hear more what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry, subscribe to this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.